This is Three Interesting Things. Hello and welcome to a special bonus edition, as promised, of Three Interesting Things. I am your host, Don Grant. Joining me again today, all the way from Mars. Wait, are you on Mars? Oh no, that's Percy's on Mars. Is Atlantic space reporter, Marina Corrin. How are you doing, Marina? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back on. Okay, so as promised, we said we were going to come back if uh, if Percy landed successfully. And as everybody knows now, uh, Percy crumbled upon entry and uh, died <laughs> a slow, painful death on the surface of Mars. And there's nothing for us to talk about. So thanks for joining us on the show. <laughs> no, as, as we predicted, Percy stuck the landing. Uh, could it have been more perfect? I mean, like I was looking... First of all, where were you watching? Were you, were you watching live? Uh, yes. Well, I was in here in D.C. at my desk in my apartment where I've been for, for the last year. Um, I had <laughs> the live feed going in one window and then Twitter open on the other. Um, and people were just like every every step of the way tweeting updates like the rover just did this, the rover just did that. Um, and it was really exciting and really nerve wracking. For a number of reasons, one of which being that I did not pre-write a crash story because I, <laughs> my thinking was, you know, NASA is pretty good at this at this point. I have a good feeling. There's always a risk. Something right. can always go wrong. But I'm really glad I didn't have to scramble and write a, a really sad story. That reminds me. I remember seeing, uh, do you know the, the Letters of Note um, Twitter feed? I don't think where, I do. Where, yeah, he publishes all kinds of interesting letters throughout history, letters of note. And one of the ones that he published was the speech that Richard Nixon wrote just in case yeah. they had died in Apollo 11 on the trip to Mars, which I thought was was kind of a neat thing. So so you hadn't written anything in case it failed. You were an optimist, Marina. <laughs> an optimist or a fool, whichever way you want to look at it. But I'm glad that the outcome was what it was. And um, I believe it was Thomas Zerbukin, a science administrator at NASA, uh, after the landing, very dramatically ripped up a paper copy of the JPL contingency plan. <laughs> we don't need this anymore. Um, so I'm wondering, I mean, I honestly, I don't think, I don't think President Biden would have had a speech prepared for this. I think everyone is, was thinking that, yes, space is hard, but NASA and JPL are good at what they do. Well, they are so damn good at what they do that if you look at where they had land, where they had aimed to land, they were almost like dead on. I think they were within about a kilometer or two of what their ideal landing spot was. And when you think about this thing was going from Florida to Mars, hitting the target within about two kilometers is pretty damn fine. It's, it's really impressive. And if you look at this picture that NASA put out today of the landing site in Jezero Crater, they have highlighted in red all of the very bumpy and rocky and dangerous spots. Right. And then... The Perseverance rover landed in between all of that. And one of the engineers, they described the surface as pool table flat. So they found a really good spot to touch down. Well, you and I talked on the show this week about the fact that the Perseverance rover did have this uh, this navigation system whereby it would take pictures on the way down. And if it found that the landing spot was a bit too bumpy, it would find a new place. And in fact, that is exactly what happened. It did navigate a little bit off to, from where it was originally headed down to, and it worked like a charm. Yeah, I think it's absolutely lovely knowing that the Perseverance rover has an onboard Mars map. So I'm just picturing, and I'm giving this, I'm giving life to this rover. I'm just picturing this rover descending from the Martian skies and thinking, hmm, should I check the map and see where, where I go? And yeah, it's truly a testament to the just like ingenuity and, and technical ability of these engineers. 
Um, and we actually got a really, really exciting picture from the sky crane that helped lower the rover down to the to the ground of right. the rover in midair. It's wheels in the air, you know, just feet from the ground. And that's a first for NASA. It's a fantastic picture for those of you who haven't seen it. I'm sure you can find it. Just go on Twitter and look for it. It is a picture of we, we talked about that sort of that sort of sky crane maneuver of it being lowered down from the rocket. Also, the uh, NASA produced a really fantastic animation. If, if I'm, I'm sure you've probably seen it of what the landing was going to be like. I was showing it to my daughters yesterday and my wife, and it's really quite impressive. To, and, and it's pretty much exactly how it went. But this picture shows it's sort of a looking down at the rover as it is being lowered onto the surface of another planet. It's surreal. I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. And it's not the only picture we have. Um, and I don't think it's my favorite picture either. I think my favorite picture from yesterday comes from the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, which is a, uh, a mission that's in orbit around Mars and helps people back home communicate with the Perseverance rover and other rovers. And it captured Percy coming down. And, and even in the picture, you can see the parachute and it's just like these two tiny blips of like something against vast, barren, alien, unknowable Martian landscape. And there's something about that picture that to me is even more awe-inspiring than the close-up shot of this technology that we managed to throw at Mars. Yeah, when it comes to favorite pictures, I get a feeling that the uh, the shopping list is going to start to grow over the next few days because um, my, my daughters wanted to see the first pictures. And of course, the first pictures came from, you know, the utility cameras. They were the black and white pictures that came in. But as we all know, there are some very nice cameras on board, Percy, who, and uh, we are going to Get, start to get some very luscious, very beautiful pictures coming in over the next few days of that uh, of that glorious Martian landscape. But these ones that we are seeing so far are are really quite impressive. I want to go back just to, for a second to what you just said about the fact that you sort of tend to personify the rover. You almost look at the rover as a person. That that kind of instinct does not seem to be lost on NASA. You can even go and follow per Percy's uh, Twitter feed. Perseverance does have a Twitter feed at NASA Persevere and the entire feed I'm sure you've probably looked at it is all done first person you know it says the moment that my dream my, the moment that my team dreamed of for years now a reality this is my new home I'm starting a new chapter it's all very they realize I think the importance of turning this you know two ton machine into this uh, this I don't know entity I guess yeah it's definitely a very smart PR move you know, playing on people's emotions this way and getting them invested in these missions by giving these rovers personalities. And NASA has done this with the Opportunity Rover, Curiosity, um, the Insight Lander, various other robotic missions. I think my favorite Percy tweet today was, I love rocks. Because my first reaction to that, it's like, that is so sweet. That's so wonderful. You know, it, it, they included a picture of some porous looking rocks that are right near the landing site. But at the same time, you know, I'm like, ah, shrewd move there, NASA. And I actually, I've talked to researchers in the past about why we anthropomorphize robots. And um, it's actually quite easy. You know, it, think of WALL-E. It's funny, as soon as you said anthropomorphizing robots, I immediately thought, oh, yeah, Wally. That li literally, it was the first thing that came into my head. As soon right. As I said like that. when you make Wally that cute, it's, he starts to resemble a small creature, a small baby, giant eyes, very expressive eyes. And, and we're, we're programmed to find those types of faces cute. Um, right. And I think that's what NASA is playing into and definitely writing from first person. I think the only thing that bugs me is when people describe Perseverance's 
she, um, that's another reason to kind of like, that's another way to personify it. But it, it reminds me of just like ships in the 1800s. And like, <laughs> I was going to ask you about that, because as I was watching it yesterday, I did hear a number of the sort of people at Mission Control referring to it as, as she. And I mean, I guess it does just play into that long standing tradition of a craft or a vessel immediately being, uh, you know, notated as feminine. But it clanged a little bit, but it, did, it was like, oh, okay. Maybe it's also because of the fact that we're calling it Percy, which is not a girl's name. I don't know. <laughs> right. I think, yeah, I mean, it is an old-fashioned approach to things, and not just ships and vessels, but also cars. I think plenty of people refer to their cars in the in the feminine sense. I think it's a little odd to do that with something this technologically advanced and also in these times. Uh yeah, I, 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 I'm also kind of get stuck on that. But I think it's like another way to get people invested in these missions and to think of these robots as what they are, an extension of humanity and humankind and also, you know, an extension of our personalities. It's true. And we do tend to sort of put our personalities into them. Uh, in terms of this particular one, uh, I know that as my daughters were kind of looking at it yesterday, they were sort of saying, how big is it? Because, you know, when you look at it on the surface of Mars, or when you look at that picture that you were just talking about from above, it's really hard to get a sense of scale, uh, especially when you think about some of the other rovers that have been on Mars that have not been quite this substantial. I don't think a lot of people realize how large Perseverance is. This thing is three meters long, about 10 feet long. It's uh, almost three meters wide, but nine feet wide, uh, about seven feet tall, two meters tall, and weighs over 2.2 thousand pounds. This is like, we just put an SUV on Mars, basically. Right, yes. So it's not, it's not cute in that regard because it is you know hunk of metal like lots going on um it, it's a beast it's a hulk of a machine uh but when you zoom out I, I think calling it a little rover is accurate because it is just surrounded by absolutely nothingness and on on the scale of you know planetary exploration and what we've managed to send out into space it is it's pretty tiny so now it is the weekend and percy is now in its uh, new landing home notice i said it not she or he uh, weird i just kind of did that uh what are the first things that are going to be doing as far as i know and you can correct me if i'm wrong I, and i didn't know this is that the software now has to be changed from the software that got it there to the software that is going to be taking it around on its missions which is in fact two different major pieces of software right and that that that's the kind of thing that makes sense to me is having this changeover because the, the cruise phase getting to earth from earth to mars i mean that those are completely different operations too once you're on the surface ready to carry out your science objectives ready to start drilling into rock cores and and do that core mission which is search for ancient signs of life right um jpl is constantly checking on the health of the rover making sure it's working properly um, before it can start to really do some of the science that it's meant to do i think one of the more exciting things we're going to get over the next couple of days is just more pictures. Yeah. So, so far we have one color image. Um, it looks like pretty much everything else we've seen on Mars, but there's some really interesting rocks in that shot. And then I think soon we will be hearing what Mars sound like because Perseverance right. is, has microphones and that's going to be a really exciting, exciting thing to see, to hear rather. It's funny. Um, my wife was reading about it this morning because she had, uh, she, you know, was sort of kind of getting up to speed on it. And I said, Hey, if you'd listen to the podcast this week, you'd know more about it. But anyway, that's another matter. Uh, and, um, one of the things that I did not know, I mean, I was doing my research. I wanted to know, and I'm interested about it anyway, but obviously I wanted to be up to speed for when you and I chatted earlier on. I did not know that Percy had a plutonium core and that was how it was powered. Did you know that? 
I believe, yeah, I, I think I understood, you know, this is a nuclear powered mission. Yeah, which I, I was not aware of that because I do, I mean, obviously the previous ones have been solar powered. You and I talked about the fact that Curiosity died a slow, painful death in a sandstorm because it's, uh, was Curiosity? Oppor- was it Opportunity? Yeah, so I think Curiosity it, is oppor- still with us. <laughs> is, is Curiosity still sending data back? I believe it is. Yeah, I haven't checked on oh. it in a while because all the focus has been on this new fun and exciting sibling. But yeah, it was opportunity that um, might have had a couple more years left in its mission, but dust storm came along, covered its solar panels, and that was it. Because I've uh, just going back to the fact that this one is sort of nuclear powered, I do recall when NASA first started doing these missions, there was a tremendous amount of worry and outcry about the fact that you take a nuclear core of this thing and you put it on top of, you know, thousands and thousands of, I don't know how many gallons of rocket fuel uh you know if obviously if something goes wrong if there's a if there's a scrub on the mission if there's an explosion you're talking about a major nuclear event right yes i think what a lot of people don't realize is that rockets are effectively bombs (laughs) and what you're doing whether you're putting a tesla on top of it a, a communication satellite or a mars rover you're putting something on a bomb and that's a risky uh endeavor but Nuclear power for deep space missions is kind of a it's kind of avoidable because the further away you get from the sun, the, the less likely you are to really support a mission with solar power. You know, if you're going all the way out to Jupiter and beyond, you're probably going to have a nuclear powered mission. Right. And the one thing about this one being a nuclear powered mission, as I'm, I'm getting this directly from my wife, I actually haven't looked this up yet, is the fact that Perseverance could potentially be giving us data and operating for 40 years. Oh, I didn't hear that. That's exciting. If you look at the lifespan, the, the the projected lifespan of the core of Perseverance, you're potentially getting data for for that period of time, which is really quite exciting. Of course, by that time, Percy will probably have been joined by, you know, the Mars rover exploration and the Mars rover Columbia and the Mars rover whatever they are, you know. Yeah, the Mars rover graveyard. I think, yeah, it's, <laughs> well, it's interesting to think about, you know, if, if something were to someday take out Percy what would it be? You know, dust storms, it should be able to survive that. Um, I think a big concern is probably its its tires. You know, previous rovers have really taken a beating from the landscape in terms of their um, tire treads. And I believe that Percy is made of tougher stuff, tougher than Curiosity, that's for sure. So yeah, it might be roaming for years and years. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. Now, you and I talked in the last show about the fact that Percy's going to be collecting sample cores for uh, a future mission. Now, when you and I were talking about that, I thought that that future mission was hella far away. But in fact, the plans are already in place with the European Space Agency to have these fetch rovers going and bringing them back within the next decade. Yes. So I would describe what is about to happen as the most stressful, intense, and expensive Mars mission of the decade. (laughs) So, Ooh, explain, explain. So NASA and the European Space Agency, like you said, they're working together and hoping to send a fetch rover uh, to Mars by 2026. Have that rover grab those samples from Percy, load them into another type of vehicle, launch that vehicle off of Mars, um, have it rendezvous with an orbiter, and then finally, finally bring those samples back to Earth as early as 2031, 10 years, which is, yeah, it's not a very long time. Um, But at the same time, it's important to note that like what I just described is still very much in a blueprint phase. Um, Right. You know, like this is a top priority for planetary science, but the mission could get delayed for sure. And the the sample tubes inside Percy are built to wait it out. Like they're good for at least 10 years, probably more. So if the mission does get delayed, they'll still be there waiting for someone to come and bring them home. 
I didn't look. Did, did we see what the the number of people watching the feed was? Did you see or no? Like, because I, 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 I'd be interested to know. I, I mean, I don't want to say. I don't. It sounds Trumpy to say. I wonder what the ratings were, but I, I bet there were a fair number of people watching. I think so, and I think I only noticed two news stories like really cutting through yesterday, and they were story of perseverance in this landing and the story of Ted Cruz flying to Cancun. Uh, and, and I thought that they were, and there were some crossover, you know, references and jokes, but I think that the landing really cut through, um, which is hard to do in a very intense news cycle. There are obviously a lot going on with the pandemic and the vaccine, but I think people did a good number of people, I assume, just kind of stopped and went, oh, wow, that's that's pretty cool. Yes. I mean, even as we're speaking right now, if you go to BBC World, the number one looked at news story today on BBC World, and we're recording this on Friday afternoon, is the pictures of uh, Perseverance about to touch down. So obviously it's touched a nerve. People still have this tremendous, um, there's, there's a romanticism to Mars. There's something about Mars that does tend to draw us in. My daughters who are not interested in very much of this kind of thing did want to come in and actually watch it. Um, and we had it set up on a big projection screen. So there, there still is a tremendous amount of excitement. And I think NASA knows this and they understand the value of it. For sure. I mean, NASA on all its social media accounts was just flooding them yesterday with all kinds of news and updates. And yeah, again, the fact that NASA is tweeting in first person on Percy's behalf, um, they really know what resonates with people. They want to make this type of work relatable. And I think what they've been doing has, has really paid off. I mean, especially when you look at that, like I saw a number of people online saying, why am I crying over this robot? Why am I so emotional? And it's because we, we stick all of our, we project all of our hopes and dreams and, and feelings onto this little robot. And when it does the thing that it was meant to do, very risky, risky mission, but it succeeds. There's definitely something to that that really sticks with people. It's also just so, it's so representative of so many of our achievements, right? I mean, my wife and I were talking about that as well as we were watching it, is the fact that not only were they able to do this, not only were they able to take this SUV and land it pretty much exactly where they wanted to land it, but also the knowledge of what to do. You know, the knowledge of when to launch, the knowledge of how to get it down, the knowledge of what to build the materials out, like all of these things which have been uh, sort of uh, aggregated over so many years of research and work by so many people, not just the people that we are seeing in, in you know, the control room. But I mean, uh, JPL was and, and the, uh, the flight director and various other people were very, very uh, specific and, and ha happily so to give so much credit around to so many unsung heroes of missions like this, which is really important. But I know that's what I was thinking about was just how much this is representative of what not only what we did, but but knowing what to do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think I think it, realizing that there are people behind this mission, that people did this, is is really something. Because, and I think it comes back to the just the name Perseverance. I mean, what a great name for for the year we've had. I'm, yeah. I don't know if we've exactly persevered. We're trying to persevere. Um, you know, and the people who work on these missions are just like us. You know, they're dealing with COVID. They're dealing with quarantine. You know, they're still dealing with like their daily lives as they try to do this really amazing thing. And there's actually a little plaque on the Percy Rover um, thanking frontline workers for what they did during the COVID-19 pandemic. Oh, I didn't know that. That's great. Yeah, and I think that's so... Uh, obviously rovers usually leave with some type of like, you know, message to, to, to convey, you know, this was made by humans on earth. 
But I think it is so interesting that the story of the last year of this global pandemic is already on the surface of Mars. Well, and just to just to wrap that up and to and to wrap things up, one of the a, a very nice article on on CNN was talking about the fact that the the face of the landing was actually an Indian American woman. When you look at Swati Mohan, who was the guidance and controls operation lead, and it talked about the fact that in, in the crew of this particular mission was very, very diverse. There were, you know, race, gender, sexuality, et cetera. All of these things were represented. As you and I talked about a little bit, we touched on this in the show earlier in the week. Um, it, it is not the same sort of white men as it was in the past, even when it comes to mission control. Yeah, I think it was very exhilarating um, for me. And then also just for, you know, other women, other young women, other women, you know, women of color to see Swathi Mohan in this such a high profile job like walking through the steps of entry, descent, and landing, very cool-headed um, and clear. Uh, I think that's really inspiring for people. Like you said, you know, this is JPL, NASA. It's not like the Apollo days. This isn't a boys club anymore. And um, having her on the team and having her front and center really drives home that point. Yeah, of the more than 17,000 people who work for NASA, this is according to agency data, uh, 72% are white, 12% are black, 8% are Asian American or Pacific Islander, 7% are Hispanic or Latino, um, 1% are American Indian or Alaskan Native, uh, and that, that's not even talking about uh, male versus female. Now, obviously, that indicates there's still a long way to go, but at the same time, if you had looked at that data in, in 1972, uh, you're you're looking probably at around 99% white men, I'm guessing. <laughs> yes, like, you know, everyone's uh, horn room glasses, skinny ties, buzz cuts. That was the picture of a NASA engineer. And yes, NASA today is still very much mostly white and mostly male um, and has a lot of work to do. But I think, um, you know, we're seeing some interesting movements there. My own reporting and other reporters' Uh, stories have suggested that President Biden will probably choose a woman to be his NASA administrator. And NASA has never had a female administrator in its entire history. Um, so that's a very exciting step forward. So now moving forward, I'm assuming that uh, as the space reporter for The Atlantic, you are going to be filing a number of stories about Percy and Percy's discoveries? <laughs> yeah, I'm probably a couple. I think I'm I'm really excited to see some more pictures from Percy's fanciest camera to, to get, um, you know, I'm waiting for them to get the data back from the microphone. But yeah, I, I mean, I've kind of already moved on. I'm working on a story now about, about black holes. Like there's so many other <laughs> oh, wow. things going on. So I'm going to take a Percy <laughs> break for the weekend and then get back into it. All right. Well, if you want to read some more of Marina's outstanding writing, just go to her Twitter feed. What is your Twitter feed, Marina? Uh, it's Marina Corin. Just that, my, Marina Corin. There's... Only one of me out Corin there. with a K. Corin with a K. Uh, thanks so much for joining us again. All the news is good. Let's pour one out this weekend for Percy, and we are going to see some nice, big, juicy, sexy pictures coming up over the next few days. Can't wait. Hey, what's the most interesting thing you've seen on the internet this week? Fact? Article? Something else? We want it. Email us at threeinterestingthings at gmail.com. Follow our Instagram at three, that's the number three interesting things, or tweet it to us at three interesting. You'll get a shout out on the show. Hey, if you're enjoying the podcast, head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating or review. It really helps people find the show. We'll see you next week. <laughs>